Hey everyone, welcome to Crime Castle. My name is Sarai Castillo. I uh, wanted to do a little bit of an intro and just uh, sort of let you know a little bit about who I am and uh, what my plan is for this podcast. So um, I, I'm a true crime fan and I've, I love listening to true crime podcasts. I listen to them like all the time. They help me to, I feel relaxed. I know that sounds weird, but I feel relaxed when I um, listen to them. I love watching documentaries and, you know, I, all those cases that are famous. I love them. I love hearing about all the different theories. I don't necessarily like unsolved murders, but I do love when there's a lot of theories. Like, you know, it's like somebody thinks this and then somebody else thinks that and sometimes the evidence depending on what if you pick and choose it it totally favors one theory but it also favors the other theory and i just find that fascinating um even though you don't have the closure of a of a closed case but um yeah so i i love true true crime and this might sound a little sad <laughs> but i don't really have friends that are into true crimes that I can really talk about. I mean, I could superficially talk to certain people about it, but not have like a real discussion with somebody who knows exactly what I'm talking about. So my goal with this podcast was to hopefully uh, be able to talk to the listeners, to you guys, and um, have these discussions, trade views and theories and um, kind of, in a way, build a little bit of a community. Um, I want friends. <laughs> um, so with that being said, um, I would love for you guys to contact me. So if there's anything you would like to say or ask or suggest, uh, you can contact me at uh, crimecastlepod at gmail.com. Um, as you can see or hear I guess um I'm hosting this podcast by myself um and so like my plan is for the tone to be conversational um rather than like just reading a script or reading facts about a case or like just telling the story I sort of want to have a little bit more of a conversation um I mean I'm obviously I'm talking to myself but I want to I wanted to feel like I'm talking to a friend and just hanging out and discussing details and theories and um, all that. But, you know, this is my first time hosting a podcast. So, you know, maybe I might have to work out some kinks. So, but hopefully you can stick with me through it. And like I said, I'm open to suggestions or anything and I'm always willing to change anything. So, um Anyway, so with that being said, um, I wanted to do my first case on a case that it's always intrigued me. I find it so fascinating. And um, I have, oh, I I want to admit this. I have a weird, like I have a morbid curiosity. uh, And sometimes the more gory or messed up the crime is the more it intrigues me i'm i'm very interested in the psychology of the criminal or the murderer and why they did what they did and how somebody gets to that point so some of these people do 
really grotesque things. And I, for me, I'm just intrigued because I'm like, how did you end up, I, mm, for lack of a better word, I guess, just savage, you know? So anyway, my, um, my first case I want to do is uh, uh, the Black Dahlia. Um, also, uh, her, well, her real name is Elizabeth Short, but the press gave her the nickname the Black Dahlia. So, um, like I said, I find, like that case, I find it very fascinating for different reasons. Number one, it was, um, like, in my hometown. I'm from L.A. And um, so that that's, like, one thing. And then the next is, it, it seems her murder was very brutal. But it was also um, sort of very clean. So it just seems very contradictory, contradictory, <laughs> and um, so it that's sort of what intrigues me. Um, before I really start talking about the case, or maybe even before I start the whole podcast, I just wanted to say that obviously this podcast is about murder. I will be talking about murder. I will be maybe probably discussing or um, reviewing really uh, intense things crimes and so it could be disturbing to some listeners so you know it's up to you your use your discretion um if you are too sensitive or you know if you're have like kids around i just be careful like i said use your own judgment i'm um this is about murder so uh, might not always be appropriate for certain people. Um, so anyway, now that that's out of the way, um, let's talk about the case. All right, so uh, again, this is about Elizabeth Short, a.k.a. the Black Dahlia. Uh, Elizabeth was born on July 29th in 1924, in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, she was the third daughter out of five daughters total. Um, I'm not going to go that deep into the whole backstory, but um, I will give some details So um, that I think are kind of important. So when she was five years old, about five years old, her father, his name was Cleo Short, he disappeared. And so it was believed that he had committed suicide um, because they found his car abandoned by the Charleston Bridge. So they just assumed that he had taken his own life by jumping into the Charles River. Um, he, he had been going through some difficult times. He lost his job and all his life savings when the stock market crashed in 1929. And so his family, he, like, they were completely broke. So um, they believed that he just committed suicide. So Phoebe, um, Elizabeth's mother, she had to support all five daughters. And um, I think that sort of played into a lot of uh, the psychology of Elizabeth Short. She grew up um, very much alone, I would say. Um, so... Elizabeth, she had a lot of respiratory problems, including severe asthma and bronchitis. So um, at age 15, she had lung surgery, um, but the doctors said that it would be better for her to relocate to a warmer climate during the winter months to prevent severe attacks. So um, for the next three years until she was about 18, I believe, 
Uh, she would move to Florida with her family, with family friends during the winter months, um, but the rest of the year she spent it with her family in Massachusetts. So um, eventually, in uh, about 1942, Cleo, her father, sent a letter home uh, to his wife, Phoebe, and he apologized for leaving his family and not saying anything. And um, he informed her that he had started... <laughs> He had started a new life in California, uh, just, you know, just literally one day walked up and left his life and started a whole new life on the other side of the country. Um, so they didn't get back together or anything. Um, basically, it just they found out that he had left and that was that. So um, when Elizabeth turned 18, she made the decision to move with her father in California and um, even though, she, like, they didn't really know each other, um, you know, the last time she had seen her father was when she was, like, five or six years old, so, so they didn't know each other very well, and I think after sort of getting to know each other a little bit, living together for some time, they just started to get into a lot of arguments, and, uh, Cleo, her father, he thought that Elizabeth wasn't doing anything with her life, um, he didn't approve of the, she, she dated, she just dated, I mean, she just, I don't know, in his opinion, she dated too many men, and for him, it seemed inappropriate, he didn't like it, um, based on the time, you know, I would say he thought of her as, like, a slut, but, I don't mean, I don't know how many men she dated, but, come on, she's just dating, anyway, um, so, by uh, January of 1943, she moved out of her father's house because of all the arguments. Um, so she began to live with different friends in Lompoc, California. And um, she started working at the base exchange at Cope, uh, sorry, Camp Cook. And um, shortly after starting work there, she started dating um, this guy, a sergeant from the Army Air Force. And they started, they lived together for a short time, but uh, it's reported that he was abusing her. So um, her next move, about mid-1943, she decided to leave Lompoc, Lomp Lompoc um, and um, move to Santa Barbara. Um, so on, she was living there, and then, in, um, I guess, over the summer. And in September 20, on September 23rd, she was arrested at a local bar in Santa Barbara for underage drinking. So if... Like, if you Google her name and, like, a arrest photo, you'll find it. Um, you can see. Like, it literally pops up right away. So, um, the juvenile police or something, um, she was 18, so I don't know why it was the juvenile police, but they, um, they sent her back to Massachusetts. Um, they, they told her to go back to her family, but she didn't. She actually went back to Florida. So, while she was living in Florida, she met Major Matthew Gordon Jr. Um, he was a decorated Army Air Force officer, and um, they started, like, dating, seeing each other uh, for a while. And um, while he had, he had to leave to India, and he was training, um, and I remember this is, like, around World War II. So, while he was there, he... Um, he got into a plane crash so he had to stay there longer than expected because he had to recover from his injuries so while he was um recovering 
um, Elizabeth told all her friends that uh, he had written her a letter and proposed marriage, and she said she accepted. So she told all her friends that um, they were fiancés. However, um, well, he was over there, so he never was able to um, co corroborate her story, but that, that's what she said. Um, on August 10th, 1945, Gordon was involved in another plane crash, and unfortunately um, that time he died. So um, that, that ended that relationship. And um, in July of 1946, she decided to uh, move to Los Angeles. Uh, because she wanted to visit uh, this um, this guy, his name, he was an Army Air Force lieutenant uh, named Joseph Gordon Bickling, and she went to visit him in Long Beach, California. Uh, they had originally met in Florida, um, so she decided to go over there. Um, she already had um, aspirations of becoming an actress. It said that as a child, she was very into um theater and she just found the whole life glamorous and she wanted to she wanted that life for herself and so at this point we're like at the last six months of her life and she mostly just was in LA for the for the last six months of her life um so while she got to LA she was couch surfing um with friends and she kept promising everybody that she would pay her share of the rent, but she always had excuses um, and pretty much slowly started burning her bridges. Um, so they, she kept getting like kicked out um, from, from people's houses, basically. So at one point uh, in December, she was pretty much left homeless, um, so she decided to go to San Diego. Um, a little bit before that, on December 5th, she said, uh, I can't remember who she said it to, but she said, um, quote, well, she said she, quote, needed to get out of here, end quote. Um, and then on December 9th, four days later, uh, she got on the bus and went to San Diego. So um, uh, on the morning of December 9th, uh, she arrived at San Diego and she went to uh, the Aztec Theater. And... Um, she actually fell asleep in the theater, and that's when Dorothy French saw her there asleep, and she was a, a cashier at the theater. And um, they started talking, and Dorothy felt, um, she was empathetic, she felt, uh, she realized that Elizabeth was homeless and she wanted to help her, so she invited Elizabeth to stay with her and her mom, Beverly, at their house for a few days. Um, Unfortunately, she ended up overstaying her welcome. She stayed about a month, and the entire time she did not get a job or pay for her stay or pretty much contribute to the household in any way. Um, she pretty much um, she took advantage of the French's. So um, anyway, on January 7th, uh, there was two men and a woman who came to the home, and they asked for Elizabeth. And um, according to uh, the Frenches, I believe, this frightened Elizabeth. So on January 8th, she contacted Mark Hansen and she asked him for help. And Hansen was the last person she had been living with, um, Hansen and uh, his girlfriend, Anne. So um, when Hansen spoke to the police or to the detectives, he said, uh, quote, she said that she was in trouble and wanted to know if she could come up 
if she could stay. I told her Anne wasn't home. She could not stay there at all until Anne got home. This is what I told her. Anne was up, up visiting her parents, end quote. Um, I think that uh, they didn't want her there, basically, especially Anne. They felt like she was um, taking advantage of them. and there was They didn't want to help her, basically. So um, that was that. And um, so anyway, uh, so eventually she went a different direction and she made arrangements to go back to L.A. with her new friend. She made a new friend named Robert Manley, um, but he was known as Red uh, because he had red hair. So from now on, I'll just call him Red. So um, to backtrack just a little bit, the San Diego police did their own investigation separate from uh, the Los Angeles Police Department. And um, so they created a timeline of her time in San Diego. So um, we're going to go back to like December. So um, they were able to find, find out that she went on several dates throughout December with uh, different men. So on December 10th, she went on a date with an unidentified man and then another date with an unidentified naval officer. And on December 16th, she said she was going to interview for a job. Uh, it was set up by Red, and um, he came to pick her up later that day, and he was upset because she did not even show up to the interview. Um, so from December 17th through December 20th, she went on dates with Red every every day. Um, on December 22nd, she received a money order for uh, from Gordon Bickling for $100. He sent her $100. Um, and on December 24th, she had dinner at the home of Frank Dominguez and spent Christmas with uh, the Frenches. So on December 26th, she went on a date with Red again. And on the 27th, the next day, she had a date with another unidentified man. Um, according to the Frenches, he honked his horn when he came to pick her up and they never like met him or got to really see who he was. Um, on December 31st, she had her second date with Dominguez, and there was a bartender. They went to this place called El Cajon, and he said that uh, Dominguez, uh, quote, slapped her to sober up, end quote. Um, it doesn't sound very good. Um, so on January 1st, she spent the day with, um, again, with the Frenches, and then uh, on January 2nd, she got two phone calls, and one of them was out of Los Angeles. On January 4th, she bought some cosmetics and magazine, and on the 5th, she wrote some letters. On January 7th, she got a wire from Red from uh, Huntington Park, and later he, she went out with uh, Sam, Sam Navarro. Uh, on January 8th, she left with Red to a motel, so this is when she finally uh, left the French's house. She was gonna. She decided she wanted to go back to LA. Remember earlier, I mentioned that um, she had uh, some, that some people had come to the house and she felt frightened and she needed to get out of here. So she was um, she was going back to to Los Angeles and Red was going to accompany her. So um, that was sorry. I lost my place. Um, um, I believe I don't remember all the details on Red. I. He was in a relationship. I don't know if he was married. I do remember he was in a relationship because he specifically told investigators that 
um, they spent the night at a motel and they shared a bed, but they did not have sex. That's his testimony. Um, uh, on the 9th, that's when they uh, headed back up to L.A. So um, after her death, um, the investigators started to piece together that she had been lying uh, to everybody around her. So, um, like some examples, for example, I mean, um, some examples is uh, Sam Navarro stated that he dropped Elizabeth off on January 7th, and she told him she was going back to Massachusetts the following day, and obviously we know she went to LA. That, that was her plan to go to LA, so she just straight up lied to him. She told um, Mrs. French that she was a millinery model in Hollywood, um, another lie. Uh, she told Fickling in a letter she was leaving L.A. to go to Chicago with a dress model agent named Jack. Uh, again, we know she, at that point she had gone to San Diego. She did not go to Chicago, and she went alone. Um, she, uh, she had told the Frenches that Red worked at an airline office in San Diego, but um, she told Red that she worked at Western Airlines in San Diego, and then uh, when detectives spoke to Phoebe, who was Elizabeth's mother, um, she said Elizabeth told her that she was working at the Naval Hospital in San Diego. And then Mrs. French said that she was actually the one that worked there and um, Elizabeth was jobless throughout her entire stay with them. Um, so uh, again, straight up lies. Um, I don't know. And uh, so, um, so Red told the detectives that he had left Elizabeth on January 9th, 1947 at a Los Angeles bus station. And uh, she dropped off, she deposited her, her luggage um, at the bus station. And then together they went to the Biltmore Hotel. And he pretty much dropped her off uh, at 6.30 p.m. He left. And basically that was the last known whereabouts of of Elizabeth. Um, after that, she wasn't seen or um, she didn't interact with anybody. Um, the next time that she was seen was when she was found dead on January 15th, 1947. She was only 22 years old. So, I'm going to describe the murder. Um, so again, warning, there might be some gory details, so be aware. Um, in, so in the morning of January 15th at about 10 a.m., a mother and her three-year-old were walking down um, an L.A. street named uh, South Norton Avenue, and they passed a vacant lot. Uh, where people, It was just a vacant lot. Um, people would often dump their trash. Um, uh, it's fine. At this now, it's uh, like a neighborhood. For, uh, there's homes, um, but at that time, it was vacant. Um, still pretty public, though. Um, so anyway, this woman, her name was Betty Bursinger, and as she was walking, she saw this like a white naked figure who was laying in the grass, and at first, she thought it was a mannequin. 
Um, I guess something looked a little weird, so she took a closer look, and that's when she realized it was actually a dead woman. And then she saw that she was cut in half at the waist. So when Bersinger obviously was alarmed, so she rushed to a nearby house and called the police. Um, her body... So her body was severed in two halves. It was cut at the waist, and her entire body had been drained of blood. And that's why she appeared to be so white. Um, so, the, like, the killer had drained her blood. Um, the, medical <laughs> the medical examiner determined she had been dead for about 10 hours prior to when she was discovered. So... Um, they believe, he believes she died sometime during the evening of January 14th or possibly even the early hours of January 15th. They're not 100% sure. Um, her body and her hair had been washed uh, and her mouth, um, her mouth was cut from the corners of her mouth to her ears. So kind of, it's called a glass, glass smile. Basically, he cut... He, he just cut her lips to to her cheek through her entire cheek pretty much to make it look like like she was smiling um besides that uh she had several cuts all over her body she had cuts on her breasts and her thighs and there were entire portions of flesh that had that had been sliced off um she had a tattoo of a rose on her thigh um, that was also sliced off and um, the killer stuffed that into her uh, vagina so um, that I find that kind of interesting um, so anyway the lower half of her body was positioned a foot away from her upper body and her intestines had been tucked neatly uh, beneath her like her butt so it would not be visible so it looked, um, yeah, it was like clean. I, I don't know what other word to use. It was like, she, she it looked clean, I guess. Um, the killer posed her body so it would be found in a provocative position. He, he put her hands over her head and sort of like um, bent uh, at, the, at, the, at the elbow. Um, but basically her hands were over her head and her legs were just completely spread apart. And again, like I said, she was naked. So very provocative um, positioning. Uh, so when her body was discovered very quickly, there was a crowd of reporters and then just like regular onlookers. But one of the reporters was Angie Underwood. And she was a reporter from the Los Angeles Herald Express. And she, like, so she was one of the first on the scene, so she was able to take several pictures of Elizabeth's body before the detectives were able to put a sheet over her. So if, I don't know, I mean, if you have that morbid curiosity, if you've never heard of this story or ever seen the pictures, you can Google it. And you can find both pictures of her, the way she was found, and pictures of her with the, um, with the sheet over her. And um, the thing that's kind of weird too, or not weird, just just some like interesting. If when they put the sheet over her, you can clearly see, it's totally noticeable that 
her her body looks strange. It doesn't look normal. She was cut, and, and then the two pieces were placed a little bit apart to the point where it just looked odd. So there's just something a little eerie about that. I just wanted to um, throw that out there. So anyway, back to this to the to the facts here. Um, the detectives they found a cement sack uh, containing like watered blood uh, that was nearby, and then some tire tracks and then a, a heel print on the ground so that's also that kinds of, it comes into play a little bit later uh, especially like the cement the, the cement part so um her cause of death was determined to be hemorrhage from lacerations and shock caused by the blows to her head and face she had been beaten and she just she was she was tortured um, before her death, she was just brutally tortured. Um, she was forced to, she was forced to eat either her own feces or his feces. And, um, she was just beaten and kicked repeatedly. Um, the, the killer, like I said before, he had made minor cuts all over his body, her body. And, um... So she 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 suffered, and um, uh, th that was sort of like the state of her body. Um, so anyway, uh, since Red was the last person who had seen Elizabeth, um, he was one of the main suspects that the detectors were looking into. Uh, however, he did pass two lie detector tests, and he was able to provide an alibi. So they ruled him out um, as a as a suspect um uh, on on uh, January 24th 1947 so a few days after her murder um the Los Angeles examiner received a package um and so when they opened it up they saw it contained Elizabeth's social security social security card her birth certificate, photos, a newspaper clip about Matt Gordon, and then um, an address book that belonged to Mark Hansen. Uh, again, remember Hansen was one of her, one of her friends, one of her dates. I, I don't know what they were exactly, but one of her friends. Um, some of those pages in the book had been torn out. However, it's unknown if they were torn out uh, before, or after, or, you know, what the significance of that is. Um, so the package also contained a note that was written with, uh, like, letters from words from a newspaper. Um, and it said, here is Dahlia's belongings, letter to follow. Um, so... Every, and everything in the package was soaked in gasoline to prevent, to remove uh, fingerprints. But it was clear whoever sent that um, was most likely the killer for having pretty much all those very important documents that belonged to her. Um, and then uh, after that, uh, the next day, on the 25th, um, they found her purse and one of her shoes near a dumpster that was a few miles away from where her body was discovered. Um, I, I could have possibly got it wrong. I read two different things that Red was the one who was able to identify the belongings, and then I heard that it was Hanson who was able to identify the belongings. I'm not sure which one is true. Um, 
But anyway, um, after that, someone kept sending letters to the newspaper and they called themselves the Black Dahlia Avenger. Uh, but these um, these like letters didn't contain any of her belongings. So like it wasn't proven if it was uh, the same person who sent the first one or if it was just a hoax or you know they didn't they weren't able to find out who sent them. Um, so to this day, um, it's I believe it's like an open case. It's obviously a very cold case. Um, but uh, obviously the murder is most likely already dead. Um, but, um, Anyway, um, I'm actually, sorry, I'm going to go back a little bit to uh, January 16th, the day after her death. Uh, the Los Angeles County Coroner Frederick Newbar performed an autopsy on Elizabeth's body and he determined that she had ligature marks on her ankles, wrists, neck, and, quote, irregular lacerations with superficial tissue loss, end quote, on her right breast. She also had superficial uh, lacerations on the right forearm, left upper arm, and the lower side of the chest. Um, the te so this is where it gets a little interesting because the, um, the technique used to cut her body in half, it was called a, um, let me see if I can pronounce this, hemicorporectomy, hemicorporectomy. So this was a specific um, this was a specific technique that was taught in the 1930s, um, and I believe it was only taught during that time. Um, so I believe that technique was like a um, like was taught to it was taught to surgeons. And it was taught like as a last resort to save a person's life because normally people who were given a, a hemicorpor a hemicorporectomy um, they would most likely die. So it was like a last resort. But the the interesting thing is that it was specifically taught in the 30s. So that's why it's one of the stronger theories is. Um, maybe the killer was a doctor or surgeon of some kind. But anyway, um, I'm going to continue. So um, he also noticed that her uh, scalp had bruising on the front and right side and a small amount of bleeding in the sub, 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 subarachnoid, subarachnoid space on the right side. Um, and uh, this is consistent with blows to the head. Um, he also noted that her anal cavity or anal canal was um, dilated 1.75 inches and that indicated that she could have been raped. Um, they did test her body for sperm, but the results came back negative. negative. Um, and uh, I, at the time, you know, the, the forensics wasn't, well, it's, it's definitely not like on the level that we are today. Um, but anyway, so they tested for a sperm specifically, and it came back negative. Um, so in this case, something um, sort of something sort of groundbreaking happened in the sense it was one of the first times that uh, fax machine was sent. Uh, so what happened was um, they sent her fingerprints to the FBI, 
uh, they used something called sound photo. And normally that was used for like news photographs, but um, they decided to send the fingerprints over. And luckily, um, the she, Elizabeth had her fingerprints on file because, uh, remember, she was arrested in Santa Barbara in 1943. So they had her fingerprints on file and they were able to immediately identify her, which was, that was good. Um, so as soon as she was identified, the reporters of the LA Examiner contacted her mother, Phoebe, to let her know that her daughter had won a beauty contest. Um, he, the reporter, wanted to ask her information to know more about her life, and he, he basically lied and made it seem like he was writing, writing an article or something, um, like a little biography. So he asked her a bunch of personal questions, and, you know, she was answering everything, and um, at the end, when he kind of got everything that he could out of her, that's when he told um, Phoebe that that he had lied, she did not win a contest, and um, she'd actually been murdered. So, um, oh, sorry. Uh, so they offered to pay for her to travel to L.A., and they, they manipulated her. They made it seem um, like she could, like they were going to pay for her travel, and she could help the other people. LAPD with their investigation. So she took their offer and went to LA. And um, once she got there though, the um, the LA Examiner, they kept her away from the detectives and all the other newspapers and any like reporters. Um, they, they wanted basically an exclusive. So they made sure that she, um, I guess they wanted to control the story by a controlling Phoebe, and I just think that's really dirty, but anyway, um, um, where was I? So, yeah, so, um, at first, in the newspapers, she was portrayed as an innocent victim, like I said, they called her the Black Dahlia, because, uh, she often wore, um, a flower in her hair, and she had, like, black striking hair, and they called her the Black Dahlia, um, at the time, or a little bit before, there was a movie called uh, The Blue Dahlia, so they think that's where that came from. Um, but, uh, so that they gave her that name in the press. But after some time, um, they, they really started to make her look bad and used her as a way to warn other women. Um, basically, they started calling her a slut and they were saying that she was living a dangerous life. So kind of saying like, if you live the way she lived, um, dating many men, um, then you could end up like her. Um, so that was, they used that um, to warn other women to basically, in their eyes, not be sluts. Um, they would say that she spent most of her time with men because she wanted to get like a free meal or a place to stay and that she was basically just using men uh, to, to um, just, I guess, to get by. And they said that she had a lot of boyfriends and um, she was loose. And so um, that all of that put her at high risk for murder. So basically it was her fault. Um, the police interviewed over 150 men that were not able to find uh, the killer. And uh, just throughout many years, there was a lot of confessions and a lot of suspects. Um, if you remember Hansen, he was cleared by the police 
Um, and he said that, um, remember his girlfriend, Anne? She was um, supposedly Elizabeth's friend. Um, well, like ex-roommate. Um, and she said Elizabeth had uh, rejected Hanson's, Hanson's sexual... I might get... I might have this wrong. I'm not sure. It says... So I wrote here, Hanson was cleared by police, but it is said by Anne Toth, uh, her ex-roommate, that Elizabeth had rejected his sexual advances, which she said was a motive for murder. I don't know then if that's the same Anne that he was in a relationship with. Maybe they broke up and she was trying to get back at him. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, sorry about that. Um, so on M March 14th, the... Uh, there was some men's clothes and shoes that were find, found by the Ocean's Edge on uh, Breeze Avenue in Venice. And inside the shoe was what they think is a suicide note. And it said, quote, To whom it may concern, I have waited for the police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killing, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that, or this. Sorry, Mary. End quote. Um, they were never able to identify who the owner of the clothes was. They didn't find a body, so it's not it's not clear if it was like a, a hoax or you know, or somebody really did um, confess before killing themselves. Um, but that's one theory. Um, there's a lot of people that believe that the Cleveland torso murders are related to the Black Dahlia case. Um, Jack Anderson Wilson, um, also known as Arnold Smith, was investigated for Elizabeth's murder. Um, before he was arrested, he died in a fire on February 4th, 1982, so they were never able to, um, uh, like, like, confirm. Um, on February 10th, 1947, Jean, 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 Jean? I'm sorry, French was murdered and the press, uh, as well as the detectives, believed that that could have also been connected to Elizabeth's murder. Um, her body was found in West L.A. on Grand Boulevard, and she, there were similarities. She was nude, uh, badly beaten, her stomach, and on her stomach, he, with lipstick, the words, uh, fuck you, BD, um, and then the letters T-E-X below that um the herald express covered the story heavily and they told everybody that the initials bd stood for black dahlia um but there's this historian named john lewis and he said that it was actually pd and not bd and um he said it uh the pd standard for police department um <clears throat> i think one of the most uh, famous suspects for her murder is george hodell um, his son, Steve Hodel, uh, when, when George died, his Steve, um, went through George's house to, you know, went through his, started going through his belongings and everything, and he found a box, and it was full of his, um, he, he just found a box in the middle of all, of all of, um, his belongings, and, <clears throat> I'm sorry, in the box, um, was a picture of a woman that Steve believed was a picture of the Black Dahlia. Um, so he started to investigate that. I'm gonna switch to a 
different suspects really quick and then come back to the um, the hotels. So um, in 1946, six-year-old Susan De Degnan was murdered and dismembered in Chicago. Um, Steve, um, I'm so sorry. I think, oh my gosh, I think I messed some stuff up. But there was suspected that it, that um, that was connected to Elizabeth. Um, but the captain of the LAPD, Captain Donahoe, he stated that uh, the Chicago, I guess it was called the Chicago Lipstick Murders, and he said that it was likely connected. So um, they did believe that possibly there was a connection there. Again, nothing was confirmed. Um, someone sent a ransom note for uh, the Degnan case. And they say that the handwriting matches very similarly to the letter of the Black Dahlia Avenger. Um, if you remember from uh, when Elizabeth was first uh, killed, somebody called himself the Black Dahlia Avenger. So they say that the, the handwriting is similar. Like, for example, um, I don't know exactly which letter, but they said one letter matched exactly. And the way that it was uh, written was also very similar. Um, there, there was a upper and lower case letters in the sentence that were random. So for, it said, for example, it said burn this for her safety, um, but it had capital B, lowercase u, capital R, capital N, and then on this capital T and the rest lowercase. And so basically like that, just random. And that was similar. Um, William Hearns was a serial killer, and uh, he was convicted of Degnan's murder. Um, so they, he was looked into as possibly being also the killer of the Black Dahlia. Um, but again, back to George Hotel. Uh, he's a good suspect because he was a trained surgeon. Um, he was a bad guy. He, um, he was molesting his daughter. Uh, I believe he was performing uh, abortions illegally. Um, so he, he was up to no good, I guess. Um, there was a wiretap apparently um, in the 40s and it recorded George saying, quote, supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary because she is dead, end quote. So um, that again, suspicious. Um, Steve found that photo um, in, a, in a, like a, a wood, small box no in a small box that was bound in wood and so in there there was two pictures um it was like at the end of the album and according to him he says it looks like the black dahlia you can actually google these pictures um and see for yourself in my opinion i don't think it looks like her there's a similarity i don't think that it's her um, but you please go look at those photos. Tell me what you think. Um, if you think that it is her or not, um, that would be, um, I think that's pretty important piece of evidence. Um, anyway, so, um, so Steve, the son, he was a homicide detective in the LAPD and he had, um, he had a great reputation as a detective. So, again, I guess that gives him some credibility. Um, he started to investigate it further, kind of became obsessed with um, proving that his father had killed her, and he found many connections. 
Um, he, George, actually was in medical school at the time when they were teaching that, um, uh, I, I have it up on my notes, that procedure, that the way that they cut her in half that was taught in the 30s. Um, he was in school at the time that that was taught. So it's possible that he could have known to do that to her. Um, and then according to Steve, he also had similar handwriting to the Black Dahlia Avenger. Um, so Steve wrote a book called The Black Dahlia Avenger, The True Story, uh, in 2003. Um, so in this book, he lists all the evidence he gathered chronologically. And another like compelling piece of evidence um, was from the LA, ugh, the LA, sorry, the UCLA archives. Um, there was receipts for contracting work on his childhood home. And one of the receipts showed a purchase for 10 five pound bags of concrete and it was just a few days before Elizabeth's murder. And it's uh, supposed to be the same brand of concrete that was found near her body. So um, they, the police believe that the killer used that to carry her. So it looks like it's the same concrete. So that's pretty compelling as well. Um, in 1991, Janice Knowlton claimed that she saw her father, George Knowlton, kill Elizabeth with a claw hammer in their um, detached garage when she was only 10. She also wrote a book and uh, she called it A Daddy Was a Black Dahlia Killer in 1995. Um, her own stepsister said the book is trash. Um, the detectives told the, the times that he claims the claims that she makes in the book are incons inconsistent with the case. So that one's not a really strong theory. Um, in, in 2017, the book The Black Dahlia, Red Rose by Pew Eatwell uh, claimed that Leslie Dillon could be the murderer. This, again, is another strong theory that's out there. Um, he was a bellhop and a former mortician's assistant. He was associated with Mark Hansen, if you remember him from earlier, and Jeff Connors, and then as well as Sergeant Finnis Brown. Um, and he was the lead detective on the case, um, and they said that he could be corrupt. So, Eatwell claimed that Elizabeth knew too much about the men's involvement in a scheme for robbing hotels. So they murdered her to sort of uh, keep everything covered up. Um, he said she was killed at the Astor Motel in LA, uh, which is interesting because the owners reported they found one of the rooms quote, covered in blood and fecal matter, end quote, on the morning that Elizabeth's body was found. That is, again, really compelling, I think. Um, if you remember earlier, too, Anne had said he, she thought he was the killer. So he, he's a strong contender, I think, for, for the murder. Um, the examiner stated in 1949, um, that uh, LA Police Chief William Wharton denied that the Astor Motel had anything to do with the case, but then um, a rival newspaper claimed that the murder did take place there. So it's kind of hard because at those times the newspapers were not very reliable. Um, so again, we're not sure if it was true. If it's true, it's pretty compelling. Um, so Again, um, now let me go into something else. So um, there was another claim that Dylan was the murderer, um, that Buzz Williams was the one who claimed that. He was a retired detective with the Long Beach Police Department. 
and he claimed that his father, Richard F. Williams, and his friend Con Keller were both members of the LA Gangster Squad, and they were um, investigating the case, and he believed that Dylan was the killer, and when he moved to his home state of Oklahoma, um, he was able to avoid extradition to California because his ex-wife, uh, Georgia Stevenson, was second cousins with Governor um, Adlai Stevenson II of Illinois, and, sh and um, they contacted the governor of Oklahoma on his behalf. So basically, an, uh, he was corrupt. They couldn't get him. So um, on the other hand, um, Keller believed that Hansen, again, was a killer because um, he, he had studied, actually, um, at a surgical school in Sweden. Um, also, it was said that Hansen threw elaborate parties and prominent officials from the LAPD would often attend. So basically, he claimed that the LAPD covered up the murder um, because uh, they were sort of mixed in with Hansen and they, don't, they just wanted to cover it up. So, um, uh, the thing about that is that the DA's files place him in San Francisco at the time of the murder. Again, if they're corrupt, could, could be false. So, um, I don't know. Um, so basically those are sort of like the main, not the main suspects, more compelling suspects. And, um, I don't know, like, in my opinion, I always heard that George Hodel was the, the murderer. I feel like, I, I've never read the book, surprisingly. I should actually do that. But I, I he seems like a good contender for the murder. Um, I, I wish we could know. I don't think we ever will. Um, but, I don't know, this case always stuck in my head. I feel like it's so, it's so, like, brutal and, and grotesque and, I don't know, the killer, is. it's very clear he wanted attention for what he did, the way she was placed. It was, it was clear he was, he wanted that recognition, um, and then sending those, that package as well. Um, so that's, so that's interesting, and the thing that sort of, I feel, is a little contradictory is, if he wanted so much attention, wouldn't he have done the same? I, I feel like it couldn't have been the first one. It couldn't have been the last one. It was so, um, uh, it was so specific, I feel like. It, I feel like it's impossible it was the first one. Uh, I think he had to have at least experimented before or done something similar before and after. And I feel like he would have continued to taunt the press. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know why. Um, I, I, I don't know why he's. I don't know why um, he. It seems like there was only that one murder. Um, like I said, there were other murders that were a little similar, but I feel like a, 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 a serial killer like this would want the recognition that look at what I'm doing and look at what I'm getting away with. I feel like he would want the no the notoriety I cannot talk today, I'm so sorry. The notoriety. Um also I think the press was a huge factor in the case. Right away they got there, they took pictures. Um I think they were like the first ones on the scene. Um 
kind of, they, they put out a lot of false information um, and they manipulated a lot of people. So I think in many ways they hindered the investigation. But um, at the same time, I'm glad that they were there just because, you know, if, if they hadn't been there, they wouldn't have taken the pictures. And um, maybe we wouldn't be talking about it. Maybe we wouldn't even know. I think that her pictures are very um, attention-grabbing. I think it's, like I said, it's, it's very interesting posing. And um, I, I feel, it, this is messed up to say, I think, but Elizabeth wanted to be famous. She wanted to be a Hollywood star. She wanted to be known around the world. And the sad thing is she got what she wanted. We're still talking about her. And it's just not the way I guess she pictured it. And in many ways, I find that very sad, but also kind of like, at, at least she kind of got what she wanted in that sense. I hope that doesn't sound bad. It just, it, it's just in a way kind of ironic and poetic at the same time. So anyway, um, that's that story. Um, like I said, my theory is it was George Hodel. That's what I think. Um, please let me know what you guys think. I don't know, like I said, exactly how I'm going to do this. Uh, how I'm going to structure this, especially right now, obviously, I'm not out in the world yet, so um, I can't really have a discussion with anybody, but um, contact me. Contact me, um, again, at crimecastlepod at gmail.com. Tell me your stories. Tell me what you think. It doesn't necessarily have to be about the Black Dahlia. Maybe you can tell me um, a case you like or um, any, anything. Just talk to me, and then... I can do an, an episode where we have these discussions um, where, you know, I, I, I read these emails and, and say what you guys think and um, we can have a conversation. Like I said, I want to talk to people about this. This is a case I feel like um, I just sort of wanted to put it out there in case you didn't know. Um, and again, like it's my first one. So I I don't have anybody that's contact me to talk about it so I hope that somebody will write in and then we can have a conversation about the Black Dahlia so um yeah I mean it's it's crazy like I said this is one of my favorite murders it's it's uh I kind of like it sounds bad but I kind of like when they're sort of um uh brutal the way that they are so um I don't know am I weird is that anybody else like that um, let me know, but anyway, um, that's it for this episode, um, I'm new, I'm figuring it out, um, my, I'm not used to talking this long, so my voice is all over the place, I'm sorry, um, but, um, hopefully you guys uh, stick with me and you, you come back and, um, like I said, we're able to have these discussions, and, um, just thank you for listening, and I can't wait to hear from you, bye.